good to be with you on the other side of the pulpit today. And um, I'm glad that Barry's taking a break, and we can even give Philip one today. I, uh, when you're asked to preach once in a while, you wonder what you're going to preach on, and I chose this passage because I needed to hear it myself, even if you don't. Um, but I believe that <clears throat> by God's creation, we're as much alike as uh, we are different. And prayerfully, this will have some application to you as well. It's a short passage, but it's packed with a lot of content. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And boy, did I do something silly this in the 9 o'clock. My glasses with which I used to read... I didn't know it that I put them up under here, and I started to read the passage, and I was going, and I had to really guess on a lot of these words, but I've got them now. So I want to read this short passage. You can follow it along on your bulletin insert. Then I want to have a brief prayer, and we'll look at it under these four points that are included in the outline. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and you know what we need this morning, and you are so perfectly sovereign that you know all of our different needs and we ask that you would by the power of your spirit take your word and apply it to each of our needs whether we need to be pierced or bound up or encouraged or exhorted we ask that you Lord Jesus would Just send your word to us and transform us and change us to be more in conformity to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you've probably heard about that answer to the question, what does it mean when a preacher takes his watch off? And that most common answer is absolutely nothing. However, I'm going to try to be an exception to that rule. And I want us to talk about dealing with anxiety. If you and I are typical human beings, if you and I are typical followers of Christ, we will struggle to some degree with the problem of anxiety. And for those of you who are young people, that's kind of a a, a vague word. I want to try to put some substance to what anxiety means. Philip started us off helping us to see that things that are heavy and that bother us qualify as anxieties. Uh, The dictionary definition is anxiety is an uneasiness of mind about things that bother you. And in this passage, the original word 
is a plural noun. It's, it's translated, I think, in the King James as cares. But it literally means things that pull your mind in different directions. And to add to that, things that wake you up at night and keep you up at night to keep you from going back to sleep. Anybody ever had that problem? All right, we're, on the, we're into it here. We're on the same page. I want to look at this problem and how God wants us to deal with it in four points. And the first point I want us to address is the reality of anxieties. Now, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was our president from 1932 to 1945, most of you have read about him, and many of you have heard an excerpt from a famous speech he made either regarding the Great Depression or World War II, I'm not sure. He said at one time, all that we have to fear is fear itself. And I'm here to tell you from the perspective of the Word of God, that's not true. we got a lot more things to consider that could scare us. Not just fear itself. Getting the prognosis from the medical professionals that you've got cancer. Learning that you have a child or a grandchild that is now on drugs. Facing death, facing disaster, having going into work and having somebody say, you're not working here anymore. There are real things in this world, in this life, that can cause us uneasiness of mind. And the reason is, of course, that we live after Genesis 3. God did not create the world this way or Adam and Eve this way. They lived in perfect harmony and righteousness in the Garden of Eden. And God warned them that if they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. And they did that. They chose to do it. They plunged the whole world and human race into sin. Part of the curse that God said is that The creation will be subject to the curse. You will work, but it will be hard. Thorns and thistles will make it hard. There will be difficulty in childbirth for you as women when you have a child. And so we need to realize, because we're so prone to deny things like the fall, that we live in a fallen world. We live after the curse. But there is the promise that when Jesus comes back, we're going to live with him in Christ in a new heaven and a new earth, so it's not all, uh, it's just temporary, but we actually have to deal with the reality that we live under the fall. Now, some people believe very naively, and even some people teach more naively, that once you become a Christian, all your cares and worries go away. Again, that is from the devil. That is not true. Jesus tells us, in this world you will have tribulation, literally translated pressure but he says take courage I have overcome the world and so we need to realize that Christians can suffer from emotional problems Christians can have a nervous breakdown Christians can get cancer Christians can get killed in a tornado or a disaster or uh, lose their life for the sake of the gospel somewhere Christians can have kids on drugs And it isn't the fact that we deny the reality of anxieties 
What God is interested in is how we respond to anxieties, things that bother us, how we handle them. We can respond in sinful ways. I've already mentioned denial. We can just medicate our anxieties. We need to face them first of all and, and understand that they are real and that they're here and God wants us to handle them in his way. Well, the first part of that would be the second point is we need to learn the causes of anxiety. Now, some people who are impatient like I am can say, look, skip the causes, let's get down to the cure. However, if you learn the causes of something, it can help you ward them off and, as Barney Fife used to say, can nip it in the bud. When I was young, I had migraine headaches, and the doctors would try to help by going through the list of, okay, here's some things, George, that if you will avoid chocolate, which was terrible, because I love chocolate, or caffeine, you will probably trigger less migraine headaches. It was wise for me to learn some of the causes of, of things that can trigger a migraine. In the same way, if we can learn some of the causes of a, of a spiritual difficulty, of a reality of dealing with hard things in life, it will help us honor God and be blessed. And I've got four causes that I've come up with from the scripture of anxiety that you and I need to think about and remember so we can nip it in the bud. First cause is the desire to be in control. Now, I know there are very few people in here that have ever had that problem. However, if that's you, you may lie about other things as well. Um, I think it's part of our sinful human nature that still remains until we're in glory of a desire to be in control of everything because that's comfortable. We want to control things. We want to call the shots. When you understand what the scripture says about the sovereignty of God in all things, it's extremely silly that we try to be in control of all things. And there's a beautiful little illustration in the New Testament that shows about how this desire to be in control can cause anxiety. And that's in Luke 11, excuse me, Luke 10, 38 to 42 where Jesus has been invited to the home of two sisters who loved him. They were followers of Christ, Martha and Mary. And the text says that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach, and Martha was in the kitchen preparing supper. And it happens to say that Martha got very agitated and anxious that she was having to do all the preparation and Mary wasn't helping her. So she goes out in her anxiety and agitation and says, Lord, would you tell Mary to come in here and help me? She thought that's that's what needed to be done. And Jesus had to gently rebuke her and say, Martha, Martha, you are distracted by so many things. But Mary has chosen for right now the better thing. The desire to be in control. The quicker we let that go... And understand that God is in control, the more we will understand about anxiety and how to minimize it in our lifetime. In that very passage, 
it says that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us in what? In due time. And so when we understand that God's in control, part of that is realizing that his timetable is often quite different from ours. And I think that helps us let go of wanting to be in control. Second cause of anxiety is trying to be someone or something that you're not. Or trying to please other people ahead of God. And there's a beautiful little psalm as well, Psalm 131, I want to read. You just listen and look at it yourself later. It's from David. He says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Isn't that a beautiful picture of calm? And part of getting calm is not trying to do everything other people want you to do. It's, it's learning what your limitations are, what God wants you to do, and focusing on that calling, learning to say no when it doesn't fit, and realize that you're primarily, first of all, accountable to pleasing God and other people are second behind that. Now, the reason I think this is a cause of anxiety is, is trying to, when you try to meet other people's expectations and because of sin, our sin natures, there are a lot of guilt manipulators out there who will try to create false guilt in your life. And we've got to recognize that they are not our final arbiter of what we need to do, however subtle they um, can be. I had one minister say that he had a person in his um, congregation tell, tell him one time when he said he was going to take some vacation. This guy said, you know, the devil never takes a vacation. <laughs> and my friend, as quick and clever as he was, said, well, I surely do not want to pattern my life after the devil. <laughs> but the people try to guilt manipulate us. We've got to remember that God calls us to please him and we've got to stop learning to try to meet others' expectations and focus on him. That's false guilt when other people try to create this list of things for us to do. But the third cause of anxiety is what I call real guilt. Real guilt is when we sin against God and against other people and we don't confess it and try to be reconciled to those other people. Isn't it true, if you know Jesus, that you have been waked up in the middle of the night because you have lost your temper and said something ugly to somebody or said something untrue about somebody, and and you cannot sleep until you confess that to God and get it right with those people? I mean, that's a real cause of anxiety. That's why the scripture says... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we need to do that as quickly as we can because the longer we let unconfessed sin go, the more the Holy Spirit will work on us and make us extremely anxious. Fourth cause of anxiety, not just a desire to be in control, not just trying to meet other people's expectations, not just guilt, but actual unbelief. And I would say when I use the word unbelief, that a synonym of that is forgetting God. It's so easy for us to get 
forget. I mean, just look at the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And we've studied in our Sunday school lesson all the way from Genesis now to Proverbs. And we see the children of Israel who came out of, Moses led them out of uh, Egypt into the wilderness. And he worked all those incredible miracles provided for them over and over again, parted the Red Sea. And as soon as something didn't work right for them, they began to complain, oh, this manna. It's just, we're getting tired of this manna. And they forgot. And then they got thirsty and said, oh, we're going to die of thirst out here. Why did God, God, why did you leave us out here in this desert? We should be back in Egypt. We, we are so prone like that, though, to forget God, to, to not believe his promises. And we need to recognize that sometimes we can have a lapse in remembering who God is and what he's done for us. The psalmist in Psalm 73 had that problem that we often have. We can be trying to please God and serve him and we're struggling in life. And, and like the psalmist, we can look around us and see the wicked prospering. And we are very tempted to say, Lord, how come this wicked person who doesn't love you, who mocks you, who scorns you and your word, they seem to be doing great. And I'm here struggling. Why is that? And the psalmist, whose name is Asaph, he, he complains about that for a while in the first part of Psalm 73. And then he goes on to say, and then I entered the sanctuary of God. In other words, I came into the presence of God. And then I perceived their end. I saw that God was setting them up for a swift, destructive fall. And that God is in charge. He's the judge. And he will deal with the wicked in due time. And so I felt at peace. We need to remember that God says he will make all things right. And we need to give it to him. Well, let's thirdly look at a command here in the passage to deal with anxiety. We're not to deny it. We're not to medicate it. We're not to ignore it. We're not to stew in it. But oddly, this is an action verb, we are to cast our anxiety upon him, the Lord. And that word is it's, it's athletic terminology, which literally means to hurl. And if any of you caught any of the um, U.S. Olympic trials in track and field, you know, and it's fascinating to watch to me, these big folks, because they're usually real big, that can either put a shot, a 16-pound ball, 60, 70 feet out uh, far away from them, or that little three-pound discus, 225 feet, or that hammer. How about the hammer throw, where they hold on to this chain and there's this ball on the end, and they start whooping around and whirling and whirling and whirling and whirling, and then they sling that thing. Well, that's the picture of cast. We're to hurl our anxieties upon the Lord. That's an active verb. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, one thing is we are to humble ourselves before the Lord. That's the first step. And say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. And if, you've, if you haven't ever seen this movie, you need to watch it with your children sometime. But a beautiful example of someone who pridefully, like we so often do, tried to handle his problems all of his own, in, in his own strength, in his own intelligence, is, in, is George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. And George Bailey 
had that nemesis potter who tried to destroy him and almost did. But George Bailey thought he could handle everything until he got to the end of his rope. And see, God sent an angel, Clarence. Remember that? Those of you who have seen this movie? And finally, it's a beautiful picture of humility. Clarence showed the mercies of God and the goodness of God to George Bailey and how he enabled him and allowed him to do many things to help people. And it broke him. It humbled him to finally cry out and say, Lord, I just want to live. Please help me. And he did. So we've got to humble ourselves. That is the command. Humble ourselves. And then part of that humility is to go to the Lord in prayer. Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. And the God of peace will provide everything that you need in Christ Jesus. You've got to humble yourself, admit you can't handle your worries, and realize that as you seek the Lord in prayer, he will hear us and answer us in due time. Part of our problem when we get to that point about prayer and, and feeling the burden of these anxieties is the question, Lord, are you, are you big enough? Are you strong enough? Do you care enough? And that was Job's. Job got to that point until in chapter 38 of Job. By the way, Job has 42 chapters. And Job struggled with all those awful afflictions that God allowed him to um, receive. He, he allowed Satan to, to put them on him to prove to Satan that Job was faithful. But Job had, had pretty much gotten to the end of his rope emotionally, and, and in, he was just complaining at the end and said, God, why is this happening? I don't understand. And in chapter 38, God comes to Job and says, listen to me, Job. It's time for you to stop talking and just let me remind you of who I am. And he starts to ask questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I set the Pleiades in the heavens and marched out the constellations? Where were you when, or, or he says, do, do you know when every mountain goat in the world gives birth? And he goes for three chapters about Job. I am big enough. I am wise enough. And I care about you enough to take care of all of these troubles that you are having. And at the end, Job says, I cover my mouth. You're right, Lord. I repent in dust and ashes. And then, of course, the Lord restored Job with many blessings. You and I have got to hurl our anxieties on the Lord in humility and in prayer and he will provide and that leads us to the fourth and final point the cure and this is the best part the cure is simply the last part of that verse 7 we cast our anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us you know things that bother us matter to God it's hard for us to think about that except that passage I asked um, Philip to read Psalm 56 has this incredible word picture in it about how much God cares for us when we are upset and sad and we cry he puts our tears 
in his bottle. He remembers our tears. He doesn't just let them go in one ear and out the other. He remembers what bothers us. That is so powerful. And you, can, you and I, can, we can stand anything if we know somebody cares. And if we know that God cares, we can bear it. And we, we're reminded by Jesus uh, in Matthew 10. He said, uh, aren't, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly father knowing it and planning for it. He says the very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore do not fear. You are of much greater value than many sparrows. How do you know God cares for you? Well thank God he has proved it in his word. He has proved it by sending his son, the second person of the Trinity who has from time eternity had perfect fellowship with his father. He was willing to come and lay aside some of his glory to take on human flesh, to not die for good people, but to die for sinners like you and like me so that we could have forgiveness and that we could have restoration to our father. We could have adoption as sons and the sure hope of heaven, the presence of God forever and all the promises of God forever and ever. And not only there, the Lord Jesus who went to the cross for sinners, he rose for our justification. He didn't stop there. He ascended into heaven and he sits on the right hand of the Father and it says he ever intercedes for us. He prays for us daily. We're talking about You think God cares for you? It's more than you can imagine until you begin to meditate on it and it just overwhelms you. And he's given us, he didn't just leave us, he sent us his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to be our comforter, to be our convictor, to be our advocate. That's how much God cares for us. And one other point about that. He's also told us about the future. That it doesn't just end when we die and go to heaven. That at some point in the future, the Lord Jesus is going to come back bodily. It's called the second coming in judgment. And he will make all things right. He will judge the wicked. And then he will give us a new body. And he will bring down heaven and he will transform the earth and we will rule rule with him on this earth again. Now there's something very comforting to me about those future promises when things frustrate us down here. And some people are different about this, but I tend to like to know how how a a ball game is going to end before I start watching it especially if it's my alma mater and they kick off at 9 o'clock and the game's over 12 and I can't stay up that late. I don't mind at all going to bed at halftime with us behind if when I wake up in the morning and I look at the, the crawl across the ESPN monitor and my team is one, then I can go back and watch the taped second half and feel like a million dollars. Very little stress. If I watch it without knowing the ending, I'm stressed. But see, God has given us clearly how 
this world is going to end and how we're going to rule and reign with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. And that is how God cares for us and how we can minimize our anxiety. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, you do have something to be deeply anxious about, and that is being eternally separated from him forever. That's the lot of anybody who ignores the Lord Jesus and his call to come unto him and take refuge in him. But, you know, you don't have to stay in that estate one more second. That if you have run from Jesus or ignored him all your life, you don't have to be anxious anymore. He just calls you to turn to repent of your rebellion and to humble yourself, surrender to him Because Paul says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be forgiven and you shall know all of these things I've been talking about. If you've done that and you know you're a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you and myself to take a lesson from the great reformer of the 1500s, Martin Luther who in commenting on this passage said that his favorite preacher was a robin that he could watch through his window. And he would watch that robin take a breadcrumb, eat it, go to his nest, chirp, tuck his head under his wings, and go to sleep. Now, Think about everything that's really bothering you and worrying you, whether it's your job, people around you, your health, money. God tells you if you're his child and you've trusted him by faith, he says, be still. Throw it on me and go to sleep. There's no use both of us staying up all night. Amen.